Okay, so uh, we are here at the Red Square, Stalin, you know, the, not the real Stalin, but <laughs> but the fake Stalin. Uh, he didn't feel like uh, being recorded and Putin is not calling back and we didn't find any Lenin. <laughs> so that leaves us with no interview. This is the audio version of Semester 47, a collection of personal stories we encountered while traveling on the Trans-Siberian Railway from Moscow to Vladivostok. We, that is, two Russians with an audio recorder and an Austrian with a camera. You can find all of those stories on our website, mesto47.org. Episode one, the impersonator. Our journey starts in Moscow, in the very heart of Moscow, on Red Square. There's the iconic view of St. Basil's Cathedral, the Kremlin Wall, now, something you might have not known is that Moscow Kremlin, the Kremlin, is actually just a Kremlin, one of many. The Russian word Kreml describes a citadel, and many historic Russian cities still have one. Nice pronunciation of Kreml, Georg. But there is more, Lenin Mausoleum, where three days a week you can stand in line for an hour to see Lenin's dead body in a glass coffin, but no photos or selfies allowed. And what surprised me the most when I first came here, across the square, at the very center of former communist power, is a shopping mall. A beautiful one called Gum. It was built in the 1890s as a warehouse, shut down for some time during communism. And today, over 100 years after the Bolshevik Revolution, you can see tourists from communist China leaving the front door with massive Gucci and Louis Vuitton bags. And they have great ice cream. I had no idea Russians were so much into ice cream. Red Square is the spot. Thousands of people visit the square every day. And lots of VIPs did in the past. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Elton John, Paul McCartney, David Bowie. He even wrote the Trans-Siberian Railway. Even today, it's easy to spot some historical celebrities and have a picture taken with them. For 100 rubles, it's a bit more than a euro, you can get a selfie with your favorite dictator or a leader. It's mostly Stalins and Lenins, but there's also Putin. Just imagine, there are two men who look very much like each other, and both of them will respond to the name Putin. Every morning, both of them dress up in a suit, commute to Red Square, but one of them goes to work inside Kremlin, making decisions that impact millions of people on this planet, and the other one is standing so close, near Kremlin walls, smiling into tourist cameras the whole day. Now, this is an idea that Marina had early on in this project, to interview one of the impersonators on Red Square, specifically Putin. So we went. But you can't just walk up to Putin and ask for an interview. Not even fake Putin. He's a guy in his 40s, standing there in a business suit, dark sunglasses, with his hair going bald. 
he doesn't just look like Putin. In fact, he acts like him. He's got this confident Putin walk going on. I had no idea Putin had a special walk. But Putin doesn't work alone. On that day, they were a group of three. Stalin sitting on a bench, Putin standing next to him, and this third guy with a really lazy costume, probably impersonating Ivan the Terrible. And that third guy, who might be the boss, makes it more difficult than we thought. He's hustling hard, pulling people in, but he's never in the photo himself. He does the finances for sure. We decide to talk to Stalin first. He's in uniform, big mustache, and a surprisingly warm smile. Sitting on the bench, it almost feels like he's kind of the communist Santa. He's open to talk, but only for the right price. Stalin might have been a communist, but this guy is a capitalist. I mean, I get it. It's his time, and that's his job. He pulls out a wad of cash to emphasize that money talks, but we're not buying. Marina tries Putin, formally addressing him as... Vladimir Vladimirovich. He says he would talk, but he can't really do it next to the other guys. The boss doesn't seem too happy with us disrupting their business, and the whole dynamic of the mob is very obscure. So we decide to leave. In a last-ditch attempt, Marina writes her phone number on a piece of paper asking Putin for an interview when he's done working. I think the last time I wrote a handwritten note was in high school, maybe. We started debating whether we should pay him for an interview. From one side, this is not ethical in journalism. But again, it's his work time on the Red Square we are using. We go for symbolic 500 rubles and give him the note. I think there's better jobs for everybody, even though, even if you look exactly like Putin, probably. Like, if you could get a better job, you'd probably do that, instead of the impersonation. Uh, yeah, you could work for... Uh, I think you could definitely work for intelligence service or something like that you know or like a big massive events that could uh, let go five Putins you know so if there is somebody to shot Putin which I'm sorry for saying this in the red square because this could be dangerous uh, they would be so confused they're like oh which one which one have you ever experienced this feeling of desperately waiting for your crush to call back after the first date well this was it as we leave him, I keep checking my phone. Expecting a call from Putin, even fake Putin, is tough. Will he call me back? Were we too cheap with those 500 rubles? Did his boss maybe see that note and it got him into trouble? I keep looking at my phone, still hoping that Putin might call. And we decide not to leave, but continue strolling around the square. We are waiting for the changing of the guards when, finally, we get a call from an unknown So what just happened? So I got a call from Putin, and I just can't believe I'm saying this out loud. And uh, yeah, people are staring. Uh, and he's okay to talk to us uh, for the price that we mentioned in our note uh, at 8 p.m. Around 8 p.m., uh, he's gonna get off from his work in Kremlin, and then he's gonna call us.
he suggests to meet in Alexandrovsky Garden after he's done with his shift. So I was like, wow, this is my first non-sport interview in my journalist career, and I get to do that one with Putin. We meet him two hours later in Alexandrovsky Garden next to a fountain. Like in the spy movies, so nobody can listen because of the noise. Fortunately, he agrees to move away from the fountain so we can record the conversation ourselves. The guy's real name is Vasily. He moved to Moscow from Novosibirsk, where he was running his own fur business for more than 20 years. Then, one event in his life changed everything. It was a one day I was having dinner with a friend of mine and his young son. We were watching TV. I suddenly saw his chin drop and spoon fall out of his mouth. Mommy, look, that's Uncle Vasily. Since then, when Putin became president for the first time, I became Putin. The nickname just stuck to me forever. Many people in the fur business didn't even know my real name. During the first five years, I would travel to Moscow three times a year for a performance or show. And in 2015, my fur store burned down. Somebody set a shopping mall in Ekaterinburg on fire, and my business was in the middle of those unfortunate events. Along with my furs, my millions of rubles, my whole capital burned down. When my business was ruined, life pushed me to Moscow. I started impersonating Putin on the Red Square and now made my living out of my similarity to Putin's looks. As he speaks, I get those goosebumps. I mean, it's not just about how he looks. It's also how he talks, not just his voice, but also his hand gestures, intonation, pauses, everything. I ask him how he managed to achieve this similarity. For four years, I worked on perfecting the role and closing down the gap with the real character. The way he walks is very simple. My appearance is similar, so is my height. I focused more on mimics, elocution, and rhetoric. My mimics were originally pretty similar, but I perfected it to look exactly like Putin's. As we sit and interview him with a microphone in Marina's hand and me taking some photos, the passers-by stop to stare for a moment. They look very confused. He sees us, notice people staring, and starts talking about how people react to him in the streets or the subway. People often notice me on public transport as I commute in this suit from my home to Red Square. Many people smile, some react negatively. People who are not pleased by Putin's politics and his actions wish me death and tell me to go to hell. They often ask me when I'm going to leave the post. When will I raise their pension? They bring up those issues that trouble them the most. What can I reply? I never reply negatively. I always try to be positive. I'm wishing them all well. Many people ask me, why are you doing PR for Putin? Why are you promoting him? He has not done anything good for this country and its people. 
I say only time will show what he has done and what he hasn't. I'm not just an actor, I'm more than that, as people associate me with Putin. Other actors play up to dozens of roles, but they are not associated with the people they play. I will always be an actor of one role. Apart from working on Red Square, Vasily makes some extra cash by performing at weddings or big events. I often get hired to congratulate people on different occasions. It costs $500, so only those people who can afford to pay this price get this service. I have congratulated officials from politics and business. In 2006, I had my first big speech as the president at a birthday party of Ukrainian Rada parliament member. They made it a show. I came to congratulate him in Yalta with a big car escort. He was told a high official would like to have a word with you. He comes out and he has no clue what is going on. He couldn't figure out if it was a joke or if Putin really came. He was mad at his wife and ended up not talking to her for three days after the incident. Vasily told us about his daily routine. He usually works from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And he also told us about his colleague, Comrade Stalin. I worked together with Stalin, and we became close friends. He's been working here much longer. Our work as impersonator comes in close contact with each other, as there are many Stalins on the Red Square around six or seven of them, but he is the most realistic out of all of them. My Stalin colleague is originally from Turkey. He's had a tough life and he is illiterate. We're a cool team. Putin is very popular now and Stalin is popular too. He likes working with me, I enjoy working with him, and it's more fun working together. By the end of our talk, Basili gets a bit reflective and emotional. It's almost like by telling his story to us, he slowly started seeing his life and himself in a very different I have two university degrees, two secondary education certificates, medical secondary education, rehabilitation specialist, teacher, physical education, economist, finance manager, but I haven't applied any of my degrees into my daily work routine. I have four kids. The oldest is 24 years old, the youngest is just three years old. They were living with me in Moscow, but in December they left for Novosibirsk and are now living with their grandmothers. I am constantly busy and it gets tough for my wife here with the kids. This job does not satisfy me financially. It just can't meet the needs of my big family. What really strikes me is how opposite Vasily's life is to the life of the person he pretends to be. Real Putin is one of the most powerful men on this planet, someone who is at the top. But fake Putin is just a lost guy in search of himself.
going through financial hardships, probably secretly hating his boss, the long commute to Red Square, and trying to make it somehow. I'm not sure the president can relate to any of those things. On the other hand, Vasily is a father figure raising four kids. Putin keeps his private life out of the public eye, so the only time you see him being the nice guy is in press photos. And for those, he's probably the one posing. We ask Vasily to take his picture, and he gets into his comfort pose of Putin. I ask him to be Vasily for a moment, so he takes off his sunglasses and the tie, messes up his hair, and makes a face. Only to go back into Putin mode a second later. It seems like during these 15 years of Vasily's career as Putin, the border between his own identity and the role he plays has become blurred. what Shakespeare said, all the world is a stage and the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. Maybe at the end of the day his job is not that special and he just does what most of us do, wakes up in the morning, puts on a face and plays his role. In 2024, Putin's second second term will end, bringing a lot of change not only to Vasily, but also to the other 146 million Russians. How and if this will happen is still debated, but Vasily might have already left his office by then. So whatever history decides on how Putin will be remembered, it might not affect his future career too much. Voice acting for Fake Putin was done by Jeffrey Thompson. The music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Mixing by Artyom Grishin. Mesto 47 is a project by Marina Dmuchowskaya and Georg Walner. You can find more stories and pictures on mesto47.org. Mm-hmm.